I saw entrepreneurship as a way to be free from my geopolitical, my situation physically and mentally, right? And for me, entrepreneurship was about to be free and like it's all about freedom and manifesting your reality through your work. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Diego Vettencourt, co-founder and CEO of Shortsy and Artifacts Labs. Diego is a political refugee from Venezuela turned entrepreneur through marketing. After being detained by the Communist Party at the age of 26, he was able to come to the United States under refugee status, where he started as an Uber driver. By the age of 28, he failed in multiple businesses, such as an Ethereum mining facility, Airbnb rentals, flipping cars, and multiple YouTube channels that gained no traction. At the age of 30, Diego was hired as a sales development representative at Uplift Capital, a fintech company in Miami, where he rose in the company and became their chief marketing officer. He grew the company from $2 million a month in revenue to over $10 million a month in revenue with a team of two people in marketing. Through Google ads, Facebook ads, and business development strategies, it allowed him to scale the team from 20 to 70 by 2022. In 2022, he had the opportunity to work directly with Sam Parr and helped him grow his Instagram and TikTok audience from zero to 50,000 in a matter of three months. Afterward, Sam helped him build Shortsy by referring clients. Now, Diego runs two agencies working with 38 clients where he works with podcasters, founders, and entrepreneurs from multiple verticals, creating original content for growth and sales. Listen in for some great takeaways about leaving your home country as a refugee and coming to the United States and becoming an entrepreneur. What an inspirational entrepreneurial journey Diego has had, and we can all learn from it. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Diego Vettencourt, the co-founder and CEO of Shortsy and Artifacts Labs. Hey, welcome to the show, Diego. I'm really excited about having this conversation today. Likewise, Larry. Thank you for the invitation, man. Yeah, it's great to be here. I've been following you for a little bit, and I, I love what I'm seeing. Great stuff coming out from your companies, and what an amazing story. But before we jump into what you're doing today... Can you give us a little understanding of who you are and how you got to where you are today? Should I go back, back, or should I say where I'm at right now? <laughs> I don't know. No, how- go back. I want like a 10,000 foot view of how you got to where you are now, and then we'll dive in deep to where you are now for sure. Well, I think the short story is I'm a political refugee from Venezuela. I came to the States in 2016. After being detained by the Communist Party, I was able to come here as a political refugee, work 
for a while as an Uber driver, created a couple of businesses that all failed, ended up working as the CMO for Uplift Capital, commercial lending company. Since about a year ago, I've been running my content agency called Short C and had the opportunity to work with a couple of good and famous influencers that changed my life from zero to 100 very fast. And now I'm fully dedicated to my agencies moving forward. So yeah, that's the TLDR. (laughs) Listen, I'll tell you this. I think you kind of glossed over. I mean, being a political refugee coming to this country and you said you had a number of businesses that failed. I would argue that they were actually successful because they got you to where you are today. So it's all about failing forward, which it seems like you've done. So I think you don't give yourself in that kind of rendition of where you were or how you got to where you are today. I don't think you gave yourself enough credit because it definitely took a lot of hard work and perseverance, which I'm sure we'll jump into in a few minutes to get you to where you are today. Would you agree? That's a awesome perspective. I think <laughs> you always learn in conversations from other people how to perceive the same situation differently. And you're the, one of the few ones that have told me that perspective. So I'm going to remember it moving forward. It's just a mind shift. That's all. So listen, you know, you talk about Shortsy, which was your first company that was a smashing success. I know now you're concentrating on Artifacts Labs as well. Can you tell us how Shortsy came about? Because I think that's an interesting story. Absolutely. Shortsy is a product of the help of Sampar. Sampar, bottom line is I used to do content for theme pages in Instagram. I try to create that business model over and over again and fail continuously. During my tenure as a CMO in Uplift Capital, all my residual capital was used creating theme pages. One of the theme pages was called Top Business Podcast, where we repurpose content at scale. We refer to my business partner, Danja. Danja, it's a Russian refugee as well in Czech Republic, and we've been working together in content for almost two years now. Anyways, through that experience, I had the opportunity to finally reach Sampar and work for him for free for almost four or five months, since the summer all the way to December. And finally, I think he and I decided that it was a good opportunity to launch a business for the short form content. And thanks to him, my life changed dramatically. He just tweeted about me December 31st. So beginning new year. All my calendar was booked thanks to Sam. And yeah, the rest is history, basically. Like that business scale, I left my nine to five. We grew that and we concentrated in repurposing content in specifically. And it was all thanks to Sampar. And just one tweet changed my life. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, are you still in contact with him? Does he still act as a mentor to you in that regard? Or? It was never a mentor relationship, more a financial transactional relationship. But still, like the fact that he helped me, introduced me to people, vetted for me, just his approval rate and approval stamp meant the world to me. So sure he exists thanks to Sampar. Right. So I think you kind of gave us a little bit of an idea of what short C is, but for our listeners that don't know what it is, I know it has to do with short form video. Can you give us like a quick overview of what short C is, what it's about and who it's for? For a while, I had a problem describing it for many, many months because I said yes to everybody. But 
as we understand the business and scale the business, it's quite frankly a repurposing content machine. So picture that you're going to have a team of editors, team of clippers, team of copywriters, and team of distributors at a very marginal cost that will handle all distribution of your long-form content into short-form at scale. And we do this for podcast creators, long-format content creators, event speakers, even lawyers and realtors that have a bunch of content that they don't know what to do with. Then we come in, we curate it, and then we edit and distribute it. That's the value proposition of ShortSea. Amazing. Well, I think you got that nailed down now. So it definitely uh, those few months of kind of working through that have definitely paid off, right? <laughs> Thank so you, I got to ask you, we talk with a lot of entrepreneurs on the Midland Money Mindset because I think entrepreneurship and your mindset, they really go hand in hand. So coming from a country that was communist, right? We were in a communist country, political refugee, Where did your passion for entrepreneurship come from? Because in many cases, I think most when they think of a communist country, they don't automatically think of entrepreneurship. In many cases, that's not something that's encouraged, I guess. So where did your passion come from with regard to entrepreneurship and being in a business owner capacity? The problem with Venezuela is that we were a very wealthy country top 10 GDP country back in the 1980s, 1990s. So we were not always a communist country. The Communist Party won, I believe, in the year 2000. So that's when it started going downhill. So I grew up in a, what would you consider a wealthy family, private schooling, and slowly we lost everything as the Communist Party gained more and more power. So I think it also comes from family members that were extremely entrepreneurs. And I saw entrepreneurship as a way to be free from my geopolitical, my situation physically and mentally, right? And for me, entrepreneurship was about to be free. And like it's all about freedom and manifesting your reality through your work. I think it's cemented here by meeting Americans, speaking to Americans, consuming American content. I think that A lot of people in Latin America don't consume content like yours, Larry. And it really shaped my life as an entrepreneur, starting to consume content and learning from other entrepreneurs and seeing what was possible, believing it was. I always say that my life started the moment I arrived to the States. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly took a turn, that's for sure. So most of your life, you've kind of grown up in that communist era, right, within Venezuela. But you said your family was fairly wealthy. Were your parents or the family members entrepreneurs themselves prior to it making that shift to being a communist state? Yeah, my family owned hospitals in Caracas. I had an uncle that was pretty much a mentor to me that had every business that you can imagine, a paintball business, a pharmacy. And I think he shaped a lot of what I wanted to be from an entrepreneur. He was a college dropout. He didn't accept the rules. He just did what he wanted. My family was more traditional, medicine school, go to here, go to the hospital. So I was very inspired by him to be my own man. As you can imagine, in a communist country, then the government just expropriate every business and asset from you. So we ended up losing everything. He ended up losing everything, but he came here as well and did a life for himself as well. So that's 
my main inspiration. This person that just left everything as well and came here and built a life for himself. We actually came here and started businesses together and failed together for a while. <laughs> so it sounds like to me, this whole entrepreneurship thing was in your DNA. It was something that you kind of had from a very young age because of this family member really left an indelible mark. And today you're still, I guess he's really a true mentor for you in terms of getting you to look at entrepreneurship, coming to the States and really working towards creating these business entities that you've now started having some significant success with. Yeah, I think that I always was a horrible student and I didn't like school. I didn't respect that authority that much. So I think for me, entrepreneurship was a way to be free from authority and to build my own path and finally not feel like I was a failure because I was failing school. <laughs> right. Probably not uncommon, like for many entrepreneurs, I think in the same way, I think entrepreneurs just think a little bit differently. And it's hard to think the way we want to think within the framework of the construct of school and things like that. So one of the things you shared, Diego, is that listening to podcasts helped shape your path. What do you hope that those who enjoy your top business podcast will gain from it? What's the goal and objective there? I think for me, the fact that specifically when I was driving Uber all day long, the only way to keep myself from going insane driving so many hours was to consume content that I enjoy and to feel that I was educating myself with content that I specifically picked. I was listening to Lex Friedman, My First Million, the Hormosi podcast back then, the game was like a big support for me. So I think what I was hoping is to be inspired and to understand that every moment shall pass, whether you're feeling down, whether you're feeling sad, whether you're depressed. If you think that you can do anything in the future, then you realize that your current situation doesn't matter unless you're taking action, correct? So for me, that's what I was hoping to achieve, just inspire others to be motivated and like to believe that everything is possible in America. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. So, I mean, you're a direct reflection of how that is fact, truth, right? I think you're a great representation of that. So we've talked about a lot and you've kind of emphasized it in a few occasions, this whole idea that you've experienced failure along the way, right? Failure with many businesses. Short C was your first hitting success and now Artifacts Labs. So what do you think in your view has failure taught you about success? Because clearly you've seen both sides of that coin, so to speak. That you never take the failure and allow you to take you down. Like just learn from it, acknowledge where were you on the wrong. So for example, I had a crypto mining facility, right? With this uncle that I mentioned to you, we were selling Ethereum rigs back in 2017. And instead of me blaming the market or him or whoever, for me, failure, it's like, what did I do wrong? What were my decisions that made the business fail in the end? And what can I do better next time? What was the business? Like, I think all of these failures that I had, just it's about like understanding what went wrong, what did I did, and what can I do better next time? I think that compounds. So for me, failing, I'd rather fail fast and fail, fail again than stall a failure too long. <laughs> right. 
Listen, I think that's a uh, pretty strict tenant of an entrepreneur, right? Is if you're going to fail, fail fast. And then, and more importantly, we even talk about failing forward, right? Use that information, learn from it, and use it to propel you forward in some way. So are you seeing things that happen to you in some of those failures? Are you seeing direct impact on the businesses you have today in terms of you have an event in the new business that's successful now, whether it's Shortsy or Artifacts Labs, either one? And now you see a similar type event or something that's happening within the business that you learned from previously that maybe previously you reacted the wrong way or made a wrong decision. But now you're like, hey, wait a minute, I've done this before. I know how to get through this because of the experiences there. Are you seeing that play out time and time again? Or is it something that just happens really occasionally? No, I still make mistakes 100%. Well, everybody does, right? I would say that. Emotionally, for example, all of these failures and experiences have allowed me to just be more unfaced when I face problems. Absolutely. But I would also say that in the content game in particular, learning through failure and repetition really allows you to have a better understanding on what's going to work, what isn't going to work. And honestly, I think, yes, I definitely see the compound effects of being at the content game for years and failing and finally understanding what works, what doesn't. And it reflects in the work that we're doing now. It's a direct reflection of the failures from the past. I think I told you before the call, I used to own probably about 20 YouTube channels that I was trying to work at at the same time simultaneously. And at the time, I was very frustrated that nothing was working. But now that I'm in the content game, I realize that every failure from that point forward, it's what allowed me to be here as well. I think the important thing here is from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you're doing what you should be doing in terms of learning from those mistakes and using them as your own dictionary or your own Wikipedia, right, to help you be successful in other businesses as you launch them and get involved with them, which is great. And I think that's a very valuable lesson for most entrepreneurs because I think sometimes we get hung up in not failing fast and not admitting that we made a mistake and figuring out why the mistake happened in order to utilize that to our advantage going forward. So kudos to you for figuring that out and utilizing it to your own good and create your future success. And I want to say something, Larry, that I think that it's one of the things that I love about this country. In the culture that I was raised in, failure was frowned upon and people didn't share those failures. I think that's a quality that I learned from Americans. And it's one of the things that I love the most when people are open and vulnerable about those failures to share them, to iterate, to reflect. I came from a culture that lived off appearances. I wouldn't say all the countries in Latin America are like that, but particularly if you were raised in like a wealthy family in Hispanic America, it's common to not share failures. It's all about success, success, success. Even if you might be failing, you hide it from the society that you were in. So that is something that I had to learn when I was already almost 30 years old. (laughs) And it's something that I learned from your culture that I really do respect and admire. But it was hard to learn it and like to forget and to learn that from my background. 
Yeah, well, it goes against everything you were kind of raised to kind of think and act upon, right? So again, I think that's a great learning experience. And I think you're right. I think people in this country really understand that in order to get better, you have to fail a little bit. You look at some of the greatest successes and you really talk to them and drill down. They were riddled with failure at first to get there. It's not like there's no such thing really as an overnight success. There's not really, except in your case, we'll talk, which I want to talk about a little bit more in terms of the situation with Sam Parr. That really literally gave you an overnight boost. But I wouldn't say that your success was solely on that. You had to be a person who was going to be able to run the business and manage it. He just gave you a little bit of boost. And I think some of the other things taking from your story that I think are great, because I don't think there are a lot of people that we run into that would do what you do or what you did, I should say. And what I mean by that is you talk about your time that you harassed Sampar really until he would work with you. And then when he was willing to work with you or have you work with him, I should say, you were willing to do that for free. So number one is most people aren't that persistent, right? Secondly, most people aren't willing to work for free, especially for a four-month period. And I think there are so many lessons in the persistence piece, as well as the piece of working for free, just to be able to be around somebody like that and absorb their knowledge, right? At the time, as you were looking to connect with Sam and you're kind of being persistent to connect with him and you're willing to work for free, why did connecting with him, Sam, mean so much to you at that time? Obviously, now looking back, what he did for you with that tweet. You could say, hey, that was why I really was so persistent, but you didn't know that was going to happen. So there had to be another motivating factor to get you to that point. What was your impetus for that persistence to connect and work with him or for him, I should say, initially? I wanted to provide him value upfront. I was able to do it as well because I had a nine to five, so I could risk my capital and my resources on the side to reach to him. But I was persistent because I knew that I could offer him value. I was getting millions of views using and repurposing content from my first million on one of the theme pages. So I knew if that I did it for him, I could get him the results. And by the way, I reach out to many, many people that I admire and looked up to. It just so happened to be Sam, the one that finally replied. But I do this till this day where if I want to work with you, Larry, for example, and I know I can provide you value till this day, I would just clip on and on and on like things that I like about your podcast and I will send it for you for free until you reply to me because I know that I can help you, for example. It all comes down from the fact that on one end, I admire this guy. I When you listen to somebody for too long, you develop like this parasocial relationship with, especially with podcasts. And like I had that with Hormosi, with him, with who else? I think Ben Wilson from How to Take Over the World has, I finally met him as well, just because I was consistently telling them like, hey, I want to help you, help you. And it's just about, I think I was being very honest and transparent with what I wanted to do and help win with. And I showed them the output up front. So it was like, hey, this video already got millions of views and over and over and over again. And I want to do it for you. Quite frankly, I wasn't expecting my life to change so dramatically. But hey, I think this is one of those scenarios where you don't say no. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Right. I will say, I think there's so many great nuggets in what you just discussed, because first and foremost, one of the things that I talk about in my book, Financial Planning Made Personal, is we talk about the side hustle, right? And I think sometimes so many people start thinking about a side hustle, and they think about it in a way that they want to get this side hustle off the ground, that they have to give up what their day job is. And I think you're a great testament that you don't necessarily have to do that. And actually, you have a lot more security if you don't do that, if you keep your full-time job, and then work towards that side hustle till you're in a position like you were with Shortsy to say, hey, I don't need that nine to five. So I think that that's a great lesson. Persistence is a huge lesson. And I think the best lesson out of all this is the mere fact of how you approach this and why you wanted to work with Sam. You really approached him and everybody else with no real motivation. There wasn't any kind of underlying reason other than the fact that you felt you could help them. It was really altruistic in that regard. And I think that that gets overlooked a lot of times. And I think it's hard to navigate sometimes, right? Because these folks, even myself, I'm getting inundated with people that are saying that they could help me. So it's hard to really decipher who is really truly looking to work with us or anybody because they really feel they could add value or are they really concentrating on the end game and knowing you for the short time that I do know you and just this conversation, it's clear to me that you're really out to help those that you're connecting with, which is a great trait. You have that abundance mindset, which will certainly take you a long way. So congrats on that, Diego. I want to talk about your newest venture for a little bit, Artifacts Labs. You have landed so many partnerships, including leading the go-to market strategy for Playboy's new app, right? Amazing. How have you been able to connect with and partner with some of these unbelievably iconic brands? It's all word of mouth and referral models. I think the mixture of incentive and relationship-based connections. Picture this, for example, Larry, if you know the quality of my work and you tell me like, hey, Diego, I have somebody that needs your help and I offer you an incentive on a monthly basis retainer, then you're incentivized to send them my way as well. And I think that that's been the basis of the success of both agencies. Somebody knew that Playboy needed content generation ideas and like, we incentivize him to close that relationship gap. And we do that by offering a referral model of the retainer that we get or anything that we get out of the contract. So it all happened organically through more word of mouth. And Artifacts, it's quite frankly, my attempt to... What happened with Shorts is that I realized very fast that I was just repurposing content and the highest demand that I was getting is people that had no content whatsoever and they needed help creating that. So I partnered up with Sam Knight, my brother and like somebody that I really admired through Twitter because I was consuming his content to learn the craft of content. He and I decided to open the shop to film, create, script, ideate and be able to just stay away from just repurposing and just actually creating strategies that make sense for B2B companies, founders, personal brands. And just, we fly in, we went to Las Vegas to film an event for Playboy. We went to New York to film with some of our clients in person, have real conversations. And I think that's my attempt to 
I was very fearful that I was going to lose short C to AI, to other competitors, because it seemed to me that it was a very commoditized offer. At the moment, we're rethinking it as well with my partner. Artifacts is basically my response to my fear of losing a commoditized offer and creating something more unique. <laughs> so now you're basically at both ends of the spectrum, the creation of the content and then the utilizing the long form and cutting it up into the short form content. So it sounds like you can take any direction you want and your artifacts labs relationships are potential relationships for short C and short C relationships are potential relationships for artifacts labs. So that's fantastic. And congratulations on the amount of and the number of partnerships you've been able to achieve. Now, one thing you just said is AI, and that's something that you can't really go online, turn on the news, open a paper without seeing something about artificial intelligence and how that's changing things. Let's talk about that for a minute, because you obviously had a fear. You said that AI may change or compromise like the short C business model, if you will. Forgetting about that for a moment, how do you think AI is going to actually change marketing? Is it going to have an effect on marketing overall? And what do you think that is? Definitely. But I don't think we will get replaced by AI. I think it will augment our ability to increase our output, really customize solutions for customers. I think, for example, the short C example, it's a perfect example of how AI can replace it. My partner, Danya, would tell you that it's not there yet. And I agree, but I can see it develop in the next few years. But our whole ability to curate a podcast, decide what moments we were going to use, and then put some subtitles, edits on top of it, and then distribute. Now you can do that with Opus Pro in one click. And you just pay 20 bucks and it will clip the whole podcast, put the subtitles in. And like, yeah, he will argue that it's not the same quality. And I agree, but you can already see it developing. And for a small creator, they can go ahead and use it. It's called Opus Pro. And that's just one example of how can it disrupt marketing in one click of a button. To this day, we work with a company called CastMagic, for example. We can upload this conversation to the software, and then it would immediately create tweet threads, ideas on top of this, and just distribute it for you in the one click of a button. So I think it just... It lowers the marginal cost of marketing services and it increases the capacity to just double your output for your strategies or gave you strict ideas for what you can develop for marketing. So I'm very excited. I'm fearful for one end, but very excited on the other to leverage this technology. I think if you stay on top of it and you're able to arbitrage the services and include them in your offer, I think you will be completely fine. What you have to absolutely avoid, it's not toying around with this like new software that are popping every week. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're following the shiny object, right? And listen, a little bit of fear in business has never hurt anybody. It's actually pretty refreshing and helpful, right? I think at least. What I'm hearing is you really feel that AI is going to have an impact, but it's really going to be Diego and his team who's using the AI to make it as valuable as possible for the end user, for the client in that regard. That AI isn't going to be able to come in, and I tend to agree with you, and completely replace Diego because AI is not going to know exactly what that client or relationship really wants to get out, and it exactly where those lines of demarcation should be, right? It would help us become better professional. 
I had a conversation with Michael Greenberg, an amazing entrepreneur. We speak weekly. He literally told me an idea of how to scrap data from an Excel where you have all the performative analysis of, let's say, Larry social media, right? And I have all your videos. I can upload that Excel file into Claude and then ask Claude to give me ideas for future content ideas. But like he told me this last week and it literally launched last week. I wasn't even aware you could do that. And every week is the same, a new conversation. It's hard to filter the noise, but it's very important that you toy around and like you keep up today because if not, you're not going to be able to compete within the next few months or years as a service in particular. I agree. It's coming fast and furious. And maybe you don't need to go down the rabbit hole of knowing exactly everything about everything, but you need to know what's going on so you could have those intelligent conversations. So Diego, you're such an inspiration to entrepreneurs. So what advice do you have, right? You've had a pretty arduous path to get to where you are today. What advice do you have for other entrepreneurs who might be at the beginning stages of their entrepreneurial journey? What advice do you have for them? Unless you're creating a unicorn company, right? Unless you're going to go for VC-backed fund opportunities, I think you can leverage a nine-to-five to give you security and financial stability. Let's say, allow you to save enough money to live for a couple of months, years before you commit to a new business idea and test that idea out or test multiple ideas out at the same time and see what works before committing full-time to it. That is the first advice that I have to people. Like Leverage a nine-to-five, even though it sucks if you hate it. Work at night. Get to your home and spend three, four hours working on a new idea. Save money to just invest in these businesses. Delegate. Learn to delegate. Learn to hire talent. There are so many tools today to meet amazing people. Fiverr, Upwork, and just Twitter itself. Twitter, it's, I think, what changed my life. And I have met so many amazing people. You and I met through Twitter, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Be open and transparent with people. Look for opportunities there and tell them what you're working on, what you need, where you need help, where you're failing. I think that those are the two biggest learnings I would share. I think those are great. So listen, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we end each of our shows with the last question for each of our guests. And that is, what did you do today that brought you joy? Because we're all about joy here on the Midland Money Mindset and put you in the right mindset for success. Just waking up, seeing my dog. (laughs) I think having a pet, I never imagined it will bring me so joy, but seeing it every morning before I start working out. It's my therapy every morning before I start workaholic. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? I have a Rex Cupid Bull. Well, it sounds like a good way to start the day. Hopefully you get to start the day on your own terms and they're not waking you up to start the day. But we're going to have all of your information in the show notes, right? But if people want to contact you, connect with you, learn more about you, what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that? Twitter, absolutely. Like I think that hit me up. I want to have conversations. I'm actively having conversations with other entrepreneurs on a daily basis, sharing ideas, sharing whatever. What I love the most is talk about business. So you can search for me in Twitter, Diego Bettencourt, Bettencourt P. You can ask me anything. I'm always looking to meet new entrepreneurs on a weekly basis. 
Awesome. Well, Diego, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure learning more about you and sharing your story with our listeners. I know they're going to get a lot of great nuggets out of this one. So thanks again and enjoy the day. I want to thank Diego Vettencourt for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Diego has quite the story and not the usual one for an entrepreneur. Resilience is something that seems to be part of his DNA. There are so many great takeaways from Diego's story, and I believe many of us could benefit from incorporating some of what he is doing into our own businesses or lives. Diego Vettencourt and Shortsy, as well as Artifacts Labs, can be found across most social media platforms. All the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.